0: In 1 Peter, the first chapter and verse 3, and you can get your testaments, Uh, we're going to be turning and reading some passages, and I'd like for you to look at some of the passages, but we're going to talk about uh, some of the things that are written in God's Word. In this passage, it speaks that his divine power has given us everything. Everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. I want you to remember that passage and to keep it under in your fourth in your mind as we study this this lesson because we're going to talk about. The three tenses of salvation. Now, tense in this context and in this statement I just made is a realm of time. And God's gift may be summarized in terms of three great promises of the gospel. Three great promises of the gospel. Number one, forgiveness of sins. Number two, gift of the Holy Spirit. Number three, eternal life. These promises apply salvation to the past, to the present, and to the future. To the past, to the present and to the future and that is the three tenses of salvation a Christian receives from God salvation from past sins a present life of salvation and a future salvation let me say that again. This is the three tenses. We receive from God salvation when we are born again, when we become a Christian, from past sins. And then in present life, we have salvation because we're in Christ, because we're washed in his blood, we have constant relationship with him and then in future life we have eternal salvation. And the forgiveness of sins is promised in Acts two thirty eight. You want to read that? That's the first gospel sermon that Peter preached. And when he preached the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, fortified and supported by many passages of scripture quoted from the Old Testament. And when he came to the conclusion, he says, You men of of Israel, hear these words. You've taken and and you've crucified the Lord of glory. And he is at the right hand of God. And he has shed forth that which you now see and hear. And what's happening here, he says, is of God. Now, they were pricked in their hearts, and they asked what they must do, and he he replied and said, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins, that's their salvation. They were baptized, and they, God's forgiveness removes the barrier between him and creatures that were lost and are lost. It changes the human condition from a state of guilt and alienation to a state of justification and reconciliation, being justified, reconciled, living again with God. The forgiveness of sins in Acts 2.38 is equivalent to look at that 40th verse. In Acts 2, in verse 40. To salvation, in verse 40. He exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. They had something to do about it, and that they could do. What has been developed in this message that we are studying here explains how this verse is to be understood. The 40th verse is to be understood. Salvation is not ultimately in human beings, but in accepting God's gifts. There isn't anything we can do It all has to do with what God can do, but we must meet the conditions that he prescribes. It is a part of human beings, and the part that they have in salvation is to meet the condition and respond—in this case, repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins is the means of saving themselves. And that's what is stated here. It may be thought that it is at baptism all past sins are forgiven. And that persons uh, have to do the rest for themselves. That's what I want to clarify. Not so. Not so. We're saved from past sins. Forgiveness applies not only to past sins, the conditions that brought forgiveness at baptism, God's grace in the blood of Christ, received in faith and repentance, continues to bring forgiveness after baptism. Past, present, future. Baptism continues to be effective in the cleansing efficacy, cleansing power of Jesus' blood. That's the reason why Paul was told in Acts 22 and 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord is acknowledging him as authority. Acknowledge acknowledge him as the one who can forgive and correct the human condition because of the sin that we have. If the conditions that made baptism something more than a washing in water was the blood of Christ. In First Peter, the third chapter in verse 21, he said it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience before God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It continues to obtain. It continues to cleanse. It continues to be accessible to those faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ and a penitent attitude before God for His gracious hovering over of salvation and of sustenance to us. If one loses faith, if one loses a penitent attitude, a contrite heart, thinking that He's got it made and doesn't have to do anything, baptism loses its significance. The continuing benefit of baptism leads to the consideration of the present gift of God, forgiven of our past sins and continually forgiving us when we understand that we're in his hands, that he can help us and that he can protect us and that he can uh, certainly give us strength. God gives help in living out salvation Philippians the second chapter turn to that it is God who works in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure in the Christian life as you have obeyed in my absence much more in my presence work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling the Holy Spirit provides the link between baptism and the Christian life the Holy Spirit not only sanctifies 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, maybe you ought to read that just to get that into your mind, and the 11th verse, 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, and verse 11. And such were some of you but ye are washed See, he uses it are washed you're not just were washed you are washed you're being washed ye are sanctified ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus how? by the spirit of God by God that's a continuous thing First Peter 1 and 2 says the same thing. John 3 and verse 5, he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, born from above. It takes up residence in our life, the Holy Spirit does. In Acts 2 and verse 38, when they repented and were baptized, they were given the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 and verse 30, 32. He gives his Holy Spirit to them that obey him. And in 1 Corinthians 6, and just look at that verse 19 if you're still there. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. The Holy Spirit provides the continually present benefits of God's one-time action in the cross and God's one-time commitment in baptism. There is one baptism, Ephesians 4 and verse 5, if you want to read that. Acts 10 and verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus And he commanded them to be baptized in water. And if there's just one, and it's mentioned in John 3, 3 and 5, and here, then that is the one. He is the power. He is the power of the Christian life. God not only gives gifts, but he also gives himself, his very own Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ that makes the church the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, by one Spirit, look at that, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. People often want to objectify and they want to philosophize and psychologize the presence of the Spirit, and so to identify the coming of the Spirit with some feeling, like they did when they received the speaking in tongues and the spiritual gifts to to bring uh, writing the New Testament and working and confirming the Word, but not so with the uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit. Some want to rationalize the Spirit and try to explain how the Spirit comes in in dwells in us and usually but it comes to us as we understand and obey the word it's easy to understand if you understand how man's seed gets in touch with the egg and that his seed makes a human being and the seed brings forth after his kind and we're born that's the same way the word of God does And it's no mysterious thing. The proper perspective is to view the gift of the Holy Spirit in the same way that you understand forgiveness of sins. If we can understand the sermon, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and we can understand we're forgiven of our sins, why can't we understand that we've been given the Spirit? And that you don't have to explain uh, some thing better felt than told. We may not be able to explain how God forgives sins. Can you explain how God forgives sins when a person says, I believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, I take him back and we baptize him, bury him in water? Can you explain how God does that? Neither can we explain. We may not be able to point to some experience or personal guarantee. Just as we trust in God for the forgiveness of sins, so we trust in Him that the Spirit dwells in us. So, in dealing with this present time, the Holy Spirit helps us. The past, God forgives us of all the blackness and the darkness and the misunderstandings that we have. The third thought I think it's one of the things that motivates people and could motivate people. It's in John 3. If you just want to turn to that passage, I think it'll help you if you just look at it in the, in the Bible there, in the New Testament. And uh, just understand that that eternal... This is the one that gives a lot of people a lot of difficulty. Uh, John 3, 15 and 16. Uh, You quoted this, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, when you read that in the original language, then you can't. You haven't studied Greek unless you have. But if you understand that, that you're in possession of that. Now now we have a big lot of trouble. Oh no, no, you can't have that till you go to heaven. No, the the real message says that you have it. Just like you have a Spirit that helps you, and just like you have forgiveness of your past sins. Think about you gonna which planet you gonna live on? Where are you gonna spend a little of your time when 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 you get out of this old body? Which galaxy are you gonna spend a little time in? You're gonna be free? You won't live forever? God's ways are inexhaustible. you understand? You're part of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth, now that's a continuous believing, in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And that have is in possession of it. Now people have a lot of trouble with that. Look at verse 36. You know how he he possesses it? You know the reason why people don't come and not devoted and don't give themselves to God? They don't get this. They don't know their heirs of eternity. They don't know everything God owns. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now that's a continuous. Somebody says, well, I don't think I, I don't know whether I'll go to heaven. You know, I don't know whether I'll make it or not. I, I don't know. I wish I could be as good as somebody. Hey, God promised. He can't lie. He said He forgave you of your past sins. He said He'd give you and sustain you with His Spirit in the prison life. Where's your faith? You think you're going to miss heaven? Not if you understand this, you won't. And he that believeth not the Son... Shall not see light. Now, I want to tell you something. It's not an attack on inspiration because the King James Version is not inspired. It was just a translation. But the real inspired message in the original Greek, why? The King James translators wanted to translate that and he that believeth not the Son wanted to change the word obeyeth not and put belief on it. I can't understand. A freshman student studying uh, 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 Greek could say that they they didn't do a very good job. But the Holy Spirit said he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see light. That's a continuous thing. And you have the Holy Spirit to help you. You have the the help of God. You have everything that you need. But this message is that if a person who continues to obey, he is the one that has eternal life. Now, I want you to just turn Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 22 and 23. But now being made free, but now being made free from sin, past sin, yes, present sin, yes, where, in the death, in the cross, this didn't happen at baptism, it continues to happen if you get with it and you understand it, it's the gospel, it's the good news. We become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the ever, end everlasting life. There's all three tenses, the past, the present, and the future. Well, you can't live in sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in John's writings, I wish we had time to just uh, turn to many passages. I have about John 5 and 24, John 6 and 20, 47. Let's just look at those three. I've got to have a lot more, but I just want you to see that his writings, it just, it just abounds in these. John... The Gospel according to John, the fifth chapter, and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believe on him that sent me, he has everlasting life. And that word means he has it now and cannot come unto condemnation. But he's passed from death unto life. Now he can because I've gone over those passages and there are many passages that you can if you don't continue in obedience. Look at the uh, chapter 6 and verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Oh, no, you mean you will have it. No, you have it now. It's along with believing, though. You trust, and you appropriate him. Look at the 17th chapter of that same book, and verse 3. And this is life eternal. This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, if you know him, then you have eternal life. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is reward with them that he seek him. Yeah. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh from the Father. Of man. When we have when we've been baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. We put on life. In Hebrews 5 and verse 9 it says, He is the author of eternal salvation to all them that want. Obey Him. Let me just say in closing, to be in the church is to be in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be in the church. One is not in Christ, now now hear this, one is not in Christ because of being in the church. But one is in the church because of being in Christ. Membership in the church is not a matter of separate choice but by the one joined to Christ as if one could, you know, belong to Christ and not belong to his people. That's not possible. To be saved is to be in Christ and to be a Christian is to be a member of the church. God, by the same action that saves, places the person in the redeemed community. Nor is the church in the Bible an invisible body. I know it it contains the invisible God, but we are all seen. It is always treated in the New Testament as a visible community of people interacting with each other and interacting with Christ, who is invisible. It's identifiable. The church is distinct. From the surrounding world and the people who are not of the nature of God and are not holy. The church is a part of God's redemptive plan. Not only is a visible fellowship part of God's saving action, but it is also the context in which the salvation A visible fellowship, arm in arm, working together, is lived out in a new life, actualized with going home with God and walking with God and being saved by God. We're redeemed people. Paul, as a missionary, did not simply make converts. He planted and built churches. People who were God-indwelled, People who thought like Christ, acted like Christ, loved like Christ. And that's the way you could tell who they were. Perhaps this was connected with, with what he had been taught even in the Old Testament. Mission work and preaching is more than just converting individuals. It's establishing people with a relationship to God that promises salvation of our past sins, salvation at the present time, and salvation throughout eternity because Christ died at the cross and we have access to his blood. He paid the price. We give him the glory, and God be thanked that we can have our salvation as we look at it in three tenses. If you are here and you haven't been forgiven of your past sin, you stand in awe of the Creator who died. And He wants to save you. He loved you so much, He gave His blood. He wants to keep you saved. And He wants to take you home with Him. That you may live forever as we stand together and say,